Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Father, we thank you for the word today. It's such a uh, privilege and a pleasure to be together in your house, Father. I thank you for all here that everyone has ears to hear. And Father, I thank you that you helped me to minister your word. I trust you, Lord, and we give you all the praise and glory, Father, as you open your word up to us, that you enlighten us, Father, that there's understanding as we look into your word. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. The last couple weeks we had David and Jeff, and one, one, one of the things that they shared was, what is God really like? The other one is, who's your father? So uh, I'm just going to go uh, and look at these scriptures, and we're going to look at something else in this area. Like Hebrews 1, 1, it says, God, who in ancient days spoke to our father, forefathers in many distinct messages and by various methods through the prophets, has at the end of these days, and we are in these last days, as soon as Jesus showed up, the last days began, and has at the end of these, last, these days spoken to us through a son who is the predestined Lord of the universe and through whom he made the ages. He brightly reflects God's glory and is the exact representation of his being and upholds the universe by his all-powerful word. After securing man's purification from sin, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if we can just even look at that one, uh, in that verse, especially highlight that he is the exact representation of his being. So Jesus, the last couple weeks, as I said, we heard about what is God really like and who is the Father. Well, looking at Jesus is the best way to see who the Father is and what he's all about. So I, I like to say this, there's this contrast that we see in verse 1. It says in ancient days, that's before Christ, God spoke one way, and it was through the prophets in various ways. But in these days, how is God speaking? He's speaking through his son, Jesus. So the best way to get to know the Father is get to know Jesus. Even look at when Jesus walked on the earth, like you can learn so much by just seeing when Jesus walked on the earth uh, and he communicated. How did he communicate? What are some of the things that he said? And then just, uh, this isn't in my notes, but it came to me, you know, there's three main groups of people. Always understand when Jesus is talking, is he speaking to the Jews? Is he speaking about the nations? Or, or is he speaking to the church? And of course, there's some things that he prophesied about the church, but you can uh, misunderstand scripture if you don't know who is speaking to so Jesus talks to the Jews in one way, but he wouldn't talk to the church the way that he talked to the Jews. And so when you're going through there, it's always good to rightly divide that, okay? So we don't get confused about how God, what God is really like, okay? So today, um, we're going to look at some things, but this Hebrews chapter 3, this one phrase, I took a number of translations and I put them together just to drive it home and make it even more clear, powerful, whatever you want to say. So here is Hebrews 1, 3 in various translations. It's that 
that one little phrase. He is the exact representation of his being. That's Weymouth. We already read that. The true image of his substance. That's the Bible in basic English. And a stamp with God's nature. That's the Message Bible. The exact imprint of his nature. That's the English Standard Version. And expresses the very character of God. That's the New Living Translation. And is like him in every way. That's the contemporary English version. And the exact representation of his nature. That's the New American Standard. So we could say this. He is the true and exact image, nature, and character of the Father. That's Jesus. Here's another way we can say it. This means that God's image, his nature, his character, his essence, his substance, his imprint, his likeness was Jesus. Can you say Jesus one more time? Jesus. So amazing to me. Here's a definition of character. It's one of the words there. Character, one of the attributes or features that make up and distinguish an individual. Okay? So that's character. And, of course, we've all heard this before. Like, that person has good character or that person has bad character. And a lot of times it's all based on outward. You don't know the inside of a person. And sometimes there's people that might act away, but on the inside they're really good. But they just acted wrong on the outside. And then their character gets judged. I personally don't like to do that um, because you, don't, you, you need to know what's in a person. Um, and there's a lot of times there's good in a person. They just don't know how to control the outside. And as Christians, that's one of our things. But here's a sample sentence of that. This is a side of her character that few people have seen. That's how you can use the word character in a sentence. So today we're going to look into the prodigal, that parable, and I like to call it the waiting father or the pursuing father more than the prodigal. It's more about the father than it is even about the son. Okay? So the Jewish people listening to Jesus were introduced to a father they previously didn't know. That's what Jesus was doing here. So we could say this. When Jesus is introducing them to the father they previously didn't know, we could say this same uh, sentence. We could say, this is a side of God's nature that they previously had not known. That's another way to use that word character in a sentence. Jesus was introducing the Father, and it was another side of his character that was previously not known. We could also say this, that Jesus was introducing the new covenant. He was helping the Jewish people, transitioning from the old to the new. He was giving them a new way of thinking. He was giving them some new thoughts because there was going to be a new covenant based on, the Bible says it's based on better promises. It's a new and living covenant because the old one wasn't living, but this is a new and living covenant based on better promises. And Jesus is transitioning and he's, uh, he's talking to them uh, and they're hearing a, another side of the character of God that they previously have not heard. So here's a question that people may have. Well, did God change? Did God change from the Old Testament to the New? Is this something that God did? Why was he different? You know, is God, you know, and I say this with all respect, but it's just some people, I could not do this, but I've talked to people, and, and they, they don't know God like I know God, and they say, well, God's schizophrenic. And, of course, you know, I have to make sure I don't get angry because they're talking about my father, you know, 
and I, but so like, why would somebody think that? Well, they look at the Old Testament and they see things that happen in the Old Testament and then a Christian tells them, well, God, God is so good. And they hear all the stories. So, you know, is God changed? Well, here's, here's like what we have to understand and the best way to understand it is scripture. So 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, it says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and look at this, here's the key, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What everyone must understand, until Jesus Christ, there was a sin problem and it needed fixed. Jesus came to fix that sin problem and that's why there's a new covenant. In the old covenant, before Jesus, because of the sin, the original sin with Adam and Eve, every person on the earth that sin was being held against them. And so things happened because of that. And I'll say a little bit more. So stoning people in some of the sins of the Old Testament, it went to stoning them for a certain sin to forgiving them. The lady that was going to be stoned, Jesus walks up, they were going to stone her under the law, and Jesus forgives her. How different isn't that? So the law served its purpose, and the Bible doesn't, the Bible says that the law, it was necessary, it served its purpose, but today grace is serving its purpose. So this means for us Christians that we need to change the way that we think and talk. So as an example, we were living in Singapore, and we were actually on a ferry going from Singapore to Binton. It was a little city, vacation city in Indonesia. And we were going to do a little vacation. And the big tsunami hit. We were on the water. It was a very rough day on the water. And um, there was people vomiting, you know, like not to gross you out. Isn't that a nice, you know, don't try not to think about that. But we were with, we were about, there were six or eight of us. And that's not my personality. I'm a little, I'm a little nicer, I think, my wife would say. But my, one of our friends, he wasn't so nice. So he started telling stories about vomiting to make it worse and like everyone was like running going ah you know it was it 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 even smelled bad but we (laughs) we made it over to Benton you know it is one of the safest places you can be during a tsunami is in the middle of the ocean as they say so we were fine although it was rough but here's why I, I brought that up didn't need to give all that detail out but I heard people say that God judged a certain religious group with that tsunami. And, and I can't buy into that. Why can't I? We are in the church age. It's the age of grace. And this says that during this age, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, there was a church in India worshiping and the tsunami hit and everyone got killed. Would God judge one group and kill a church worshiping during their service? I don't think so. But you see, what, what, what I'm trying to communicate here, we have to renew our minds the way we think because w- when we think different, we'll talk different and we won't portray our heavenly father in the wrong way. So this is not a time of God judging This is a time of God reconciling, okay? So that said, today, 
quickly, I want to talk about that's radically different. So let's pick up here in Luke. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So what point is he wanting to illustrate further? In verse 10, we go back one verse, it says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So look at this, God's heart here. What God wanted to illustrate, what Jesus wanted to illustrate about the Father is a better way to say it. He wanted to illustrate how important it is to the Father God for one sinner to repent. So like Luke 15, if we put it in a nutshell, you start off, and the tax collectors and sinners came to Jesus. They were like considered by the Pharisees bad people, the sinners. So the tax collectors and sinners came to Jesus. The Pharisees got upset, and then they confronted Jesus about it. Jesus then tells Two stories, three really, but the first two. Uh, the one is a shepherd going after one sheep. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after one. And then when the shepherd finds... The, now, now, the shepherd is the pursuer. The shepherd is pursuing one sheep, left the 99. When the shepherd calls his, finds the sheep, he calls his friends, and there's like rejoicing. I found that one sheep. Jesus is making a big deal that our father cares about one. He'll pursue one. And then the woman, the next story is a woman who loses one of ten silver coins and what does she do? She pursues and looks for that one coin. Okay? And then when she finds it, she calls her friends and rejoices that she found the lost coin. There's like a party. Jesus is telling these stories. And then what does he do next? He tells the story of the prodigal or the waiting father. So we could say this, and we're going to look at it, but let's say this first. The difference is extreme. For example, in the old covenant, you were punished for wrongdoing, whereas in the new covenant, you are pursued in order to come back to the father. It's radically different. Then let's say this too. The arrival of a lost one coming home calls for celebration, no lingering guilt condemnation. And we're going to see it even more clear as we look in the scripture. So I'm going to read the whole story and then we're going to say a few things. So uh, starting in verse 11 says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And that note, remember that one verse there, that how he thought he was no longer worthy to be a son. And then verse 20 so he returned home, 
to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And that's why we could call this parable the waiting father or the pursuing father. And then verse 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So here's what we learned so far. We're going to finish it, but here's what we learned so far from this. Number one, the father allowed the son to go his way. Now that's challenging. The father allowed his son to go his way. He didn't threaten him and tell him he would pay and something bad would happen to him when he asked for the inheritance. And uh, it's said, and of course, theologians, there's always more than one view, but a good number of theologians and people that have been around, and a lot of them are up in heaven, they said one of the most disrespectful things in that culture is to go to your father and say, I want my inheritance. And by doing that, what, it's like saying, I wish you were dead because the inheritance doesn't come until they die. And it's like saying, I, I hope, I wish you dead, give me my inheritance. One of the worst things you can do in that culture. So the father did not threaten him and tell him he would pay for that and something bad would happen to him. Those types of threats, they don't usually work. That's for all of us to learn from. The son left without guilt and fear of his father. He left without guilt and fear of his father. Okay, so when I was growing up, you know, my father wasn't a Christian yet, and, uh, and I wasn't Christian, so between, I, got, I was born again at the age of 23, so those five years from 18 to 23 when I was out of school, those were my worst years as far as my lifestyle, and there were numbers of times that my mother and father both said, but, but I was always afraid of my father as far as, you know, that, but they said, if you go there and you do that, when you get home, this is going to happen. Well, guess what? I didn't want to go home. Of course, you know what I'm saying? This uh, father really helped keep the door open by, for the son to come home. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting their sins or trespasses against them. The second thing that we can see here with this uh, is the son paid a great price. This is the other side. So choosing the lifestyle of sin has its price. The son went from lavish living to meager living. He ended up eating the foods of pigs. Uh, The Bible never encourages us to sin or use grace as a way to sin. But here's the thing. If anyone misunderstood grace or if anyone misunderstood and they went out and did all these things it's really important to know that there is a heavenly father with open arms love and compassion waiting for your return okay this is what Spurgeon said he said grace is not a thing which I use grace is something which uses me and what does he mean he doesn't take advantage of grace because it's there, but he says, grace uses me. Grace empowers me. I was saved by grace. I serve by grace. The Bible says grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live holy. So that's what he's saying there. But when somebody does go off, and they do, this is what we see the Father 
There is a waiting father. There is a pursuing father. The third thing that we see in this parable is the son came to himself and repented to his father. So in the hardest of times, the son comes to himself, you know, eating the, pig, the food of pigs. He comes to his senses. Here's an important thing to note here. No one can force someone to God. Now, I, I tell my story a lot, but I, I leave this out a lot. Somehow, I went to a full gospel businessman meeting with my brother that was saved before I was, before I was saved in that Bible study that I talk about. So this full gospel businessman, it was really a big thing back long ago, and um, that's over 40 years. They, they had all these businessmen, and then somebody would minister a message, and then they would, and they were Pentecostal, so they're all speaking in tongues and praying in tongues, and they stand, and there's an altar call, and we're standing up, and my brother, and he was a, we were brawlers, we were both weightlifters, and, you know, we fought, and, you know, sometimes he won, sometimes I won, sometimes there was no winner, but I knew that, you know, that, that was like, we're, we're still close, his name is Joe, but he started pushing me, you know, to get saved, go up, and I said, I'm not going up. I, what, I didn't come to myself yet. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So he's trying to push me. And I said, if you push me one more time, because it, it was so crowded and it was packed, the only way I could see out was I had to get on top of tables and run on top of the tables. I said, if you push me one more time, I'm jumping on those tables and I'm running out of here. So he stopped. But here's what we see here. You know, you have to, you, you can't force somebody into a decision. So he came to himself. And so uh, that we could say that heart decisions usually last. When somebody comes to themselves and they make a decision, it usually lasts. Okay. So then also, when he came to himself, he had good thoughts about his father. And you see that door was open. And that, re- that brought this scripture to me, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us then have confidence... I'm sorry, that was wrong. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. That's talking to Christians now. And notice that, that we should have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. That's, that's, that scripture is our open door. Jesus tells a story about the Father. That door was open. You know, and, and I, I just want to say, you know, on this special day, for any one that might have closed doors, there's ways to open doors again. Every door that's closed can be opened again. And so just know, if you ever close the door on anyone, you can ask the Lord for wisdom on how to get that door back open. It might just crack open at first, then it might just go, but that the Lord will help you get that door wide open. So... Do not be discouraged in any way. But this scripture talks about mercy and grace, and sometimes they're misunderstood, or they, they th- everyone, somebody might think they're the same. But here's a good way to distinguish it. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And so when you do something really wrong, and you deserve punishment, but mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. And he said, come with confidence to the throne room, and when you come, I have mercy there. Even if you're guilty, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you mercy. 
then, then there's grace. That's God giving us something we do not deserve. We're, we're here, watch, people watching online. So many of us are doing things and we have things that we did not deserve. We still do not deserve. We will never deserve. It's by grace through faith. We were saved by grace through faith. It was everything he did and we, we responded to it by receiving him. We serve him by grace. With our, it's, it's, it's that two-way thing. We, we, you know, he gives us grace to serve and we respond to that and do something, etc. The fourth thing that we learn is restoration is given, not earned. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, just reading that one more time, it says, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming Filled with love and compassion, he ran to the son, embraced him, and kissed him. And then 22, it says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Quick, notice the word quick. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Quick. And kill the fatted calf. Quick. Are you getting hungry? We have been... We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. So Jesus does a big surprise on these that are listening. We're talking about this transition from the old to the new, a different way of thinking. And he, what he surprises them. And what he's doing, he's going against the grain of an old culture. He went against the grain of an old culture, an old belief system, and he's presenting a new culture, a new belief system. So moved by love, the father, he runs to his son and he welcomes him. So the father humiliates himself before the community so his son will be spared their unforgiving judgment. The whole community hates, in that culture, when you do that to your father everyone has a problem with it the father spared his son of that humility the father by running redirects the judgment on himself in order that the son will escape judgment does that remind you about anyone jesus we could say that grace treated the sinner like a casualty instead of how the law treats the sinner as the perpetrator. In the old covenant, the sinner was treated as the perpetrator. Under grace, the lady was there get ready to be stoned. She was the perpetrator. Jesus came up and what J- Jesus then made, uh, grace treated the sinner like a casualty. Why is that? Because under the law, she was guilty. You see how different that is. So we could say mankind without Christ are the casualties of the fall. All of mankind without Christ, they're all casualties of the fall. But, and thank God for that, God's saving grace liberates every fallen sinner. So what happened? The father, he said, bring the finest robe. As soon as you go to the father, what does that robe represent? It's a robe of righteousness. And he said, quick, That son did one of the most 
terrible things you could do in that culture. He comes back, the father runs to him, and he said, quick, get a robe. I want you to just put yourself in that place when you go to the throne room and you talk to God and say, I, I did this and it was wrong, and I want you to know that he's quick. See, you don't lose your righteousness, but the Bible says when you go to him that he will cleanse you of unrighteousness. That doesn't mean you've lost your standing of righteousness, but that means that particular action or deed is cleansed. It's gone immediately. Quick. And so, get a ring and sandals. That could represent seated in heavenly places. The devil's under our feet. The ring could symbolize authority. Immediately, quick. People uh, sometimes think, well, I, 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 I went off for a while and I, I don't know if God will answer my prayers right now. I don't know if he'll honor what I'm saying because, you know, I have to earn my way back. Quick. Quick. Kill the fatted calf. Throw a feast. The dead has returned to life. The lost is found. When you come to the throne room of grace, whether it's for mercy or grace, it's important to know it's immediate, it's quick, and you can pray with confidence. You can walk out the plans and purposes of God. And, and I realize sometimes uh, if there's somebody that does something in the legal system, that person might have to pay a price with, with the justice system. But with God, it's immediate. It's quick. They're just paying a price down, like for a, a season here, but everything else is quick. You can go into prison and lead people to the Lord and be a minister in prison. It's quick. So there was complete and instant restoration. So today, on this special day, we have, here's a, an important thing, we have the same nature imparted to us, Christ in us, his spirit in us, this, that same character, okay? So the father of all spirits, he's in us. So let's say this. This means that God's image his nature, his character, his essence, his substance, his imprint, his likeness. We said that, that Jesus was, was that, but it's in us. It's in us. Hallelujah. So we have the privilege to imitate the Father and continue. What, he was, what was he established? Jesus was establishing heaven's culture over all cultures, Christian culture over synagogue culture, Christian culture over nation culture, New Testament culture over Old Testament culture, grace culture over, over law culture, God's forgiveness culture over man's unforgiveness culture, restoration culture over rejection culture. That's some of the things that he was uh, establishing there. This is what Richard Blackaby says, and I don't know who he is. I didn't research. He could be a diamond thief. I don't know. Uh, but here's what he says. He says, the fact that a holy God does not instantly obliterate rebellious sinners, that's mercy. The fact he adopts them as his own is grace. And that's our Father. So as we close today, just want you to say a few things. I'll invite the worship team back up. But God's great love toward us, it occurs even if we're not worthy of it. It's not about how worthy we are. It's never been about that. If anyone turns their back on God, he remains faithful. He doesn't turn his back on us. Hallelujah. Knowing God's great love, 
it empowers us that we can love. We, we really can't love past our revelation and knowing his love. I can't love anyone any more than I have a revelation of how God loves me. That goes for all of us. But also, when it comes to being faithful, when we understand his faithfulness, we, ended up, we end up being more faithful. We end up being more faithful. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to pray today, and I want you guys to, you know, anyone listening online or here, God will patiently wait for all wrongdoers to come back to him. He's, he's, a, he's a pursuing God. He's a waiting father, pursuing father, and he'll patiently wait. We saw that in the story. But maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been running. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your day to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe today's the day that you, maybe you're sitting at home or you're sitting here. You're here in the physical body, but you've actually on the inside, you've, you've been running for a long time. Maybe it's that time now to be here, that he has everything. Not just like a carcass, but the heart. Praise the Lord. So I want to pray a prayer. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to receive him today. And just know, when you pray, pray from the heart. Don't just say words because I say words. Engage your heart. It makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Jesus, thank you for your obedience. You came to earth. You died. You suffered. You were buried. But you rose from the dead. I believe God raised you from the dead. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. You're Lord, Jesus, and I receive you as my Savior. Praise the Lord. Now that, that's for anyone that did not know Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've been running, I'm going to let you do that on your own because you have to come to yourself. So anybody that, listening that's been running, all I can do is trust the Lord that you come to yourself and make that hard decision. We're going to have a ministry team up here later, and if you've been running and you want to come up and talk to somebody, you're welcome to do that at the end. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.